uh, Psalm 40, verse 1, our text for today. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Christians ought to be intensely thankful. They, you, are, of course, thankful. You know you are doing better than you deserve, considering that you are totally depraved. Now, for the theologically minded, it is easy to forget the reality of total depravity and kind of take an odd pleasure in proclaiming that you are totally depraved. You may, you may, and I hope you do, offer thanks when you sit down for a meal. This act acknowledges that God is, through his creation and continuing providence, the sustaining source of life. With a little more thought, you understand you live and move and have your being in him. These may be sincere and grateful expressions of thanks to God, but generally they are not an expression of intense thanksgiving. There was a time, and I have an idea what you do for Thanksgiving, it sounds delightful and wonderful, but there was a time when the majority of churches held Thanksgiving Day services on the one occasion during the year that our government asks us to be thankful. And yes, the proclamation may only mention God, and you may not recognize the God that it mentions in passing, but nevertheless, we are to be a thankful people. Now, many churches have ceased to do this, which may be the frustration of tearing people away from parades and football games. It is a symptom, I think, of your and my thanksgiving really not being intense. Sadly, this retreat is an example of how the church has shirked its responsibility to be salt and light to the world. And you and I live with those consequences. Those holding a service, though, often include a well-intentioned but poorly executed opportunity given to the congregation to say so. Too often these testimonies of thanksgiving to God degenerate into bragamonies boasting the blessings accumulated in life which are generally more temporal than godly. I hope this was the right water. There's two of them here. It seems in a special... I asked for water and some people may not know what that is. They think I would be asked for water. It seems an especially good time to praise your wife at these services, which the Bible in the correct context suggests that we should do daily. But it's hard not to join the chorus after one or two husbands go on about the wonder of their wives. After all, you have to go home with your wife after the service. The point is, none of this is intense thanksgiving. 
You could argue it's not Thanksgiving at all. You and I are guilty of this not really godly thanks. Your system of measurement is self-centered, and the lusts of the world inform your bodies and minds what is pleasing and therefore worthy of your thanksgiving. But the Bible on every page tells of things worthy of praise and thanksgiving. It tells you of your failure to offer proper thanks. You're missing the clear and obvious reasons for thanks and your misdirection of thanks to the idols of your mind. It is a sin to offer thanks to idols physical or metaphysical. And God tells you clearly clearly in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God must look at many of your and my thanksgivings and say, no thanks. God's grace, though, is something truly worthy of thanksgiving, intense thanksgiving. His love expressed for you, if you are a believer, is intense. His grace is intense. It ought to set the tone for your thanksgiving. So desperate is your need of grace that God sent his only son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to come in great humility. That's what we're going partially to celebrate during this season, the first coming of Jesus and also the second. So he came in great humility. He suffered the worst profane profane verbal attacks, rudeness, conniving, and physical abuse of human behavior. Yet he lived sinlessly, and then he took your sins to the cross And died so he could bear your punishment. Then he rose from the dead for your justification. Evidence he accomplished all this is a matter of his grace. That is intense. When you realize there is nothing in you or about you that deserves any of this, you see it is more intense than even the events themselves suggest. So it isn't or shouldn't be a surprise that God not only tells you about intense thanksgiving, but he gives you examples of it. Today's scripture lesson, Psalm 40, is such an expression of God's grace to help you understand what intense thanksgiving is and why, it should, why you should engage in it today and every day. Of your life. The first verse begins the expression of intense thanksgiving. The balance of the psalm flows in a stream of intense thanksgivings and appropriate actions. It is easy to miss the words intensity. Listen to them again. Be mindful of each word. The word thanksgiving is not present, but the verse is completely wrapped in thanksgiving I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and 
heard my cry. Those last words, and heard my cry, certainly evoke the notion of thanksgiving. You can hear the gratitude. You can also hear the sigh of relief, relief that speaks of the intensity of getting there. Let's look at that. Two words in this verse appear to suggest passive, not intensive thanks. They are waited and patiently. Now these words have a connection in English. Waiting needs patient. Today, rarely though, does the grace of patience get involved with waiting. I drove partway up here on an interstate. And uh, if you drive on an interstate often, you are exposed to drivers who travel at excessive speeds. And they cut in and out between other cars just so the speeder can get ahead and not have even uh, the opportunity or the need to slow down slightly, let alone wait for the driver ahead. It's really frightening if the driver's being interwoven so much as take their foot off the accelerator or hit the brakes, carnage will follow. Or stand in a line in any store and you see the, the fudgeting and the fussing. Well, most people, I think, not just some, express in their body language and sometimes in their words. Then there's the luggage carousel at the airport. I don't know what it is. People crowd the carousel before any luggage even starts appearing. This gentleman's going to travel. He's probably seen this. And then they block those whose luggage comes up first. But you've got to be the first out of the airport. Waiting in patience isn't limited, however, to lanes, lines, and luggage. Whenever you take a matter in your own hands and don't patiently wait for God's provision, his direction, you exercise the most egregious lack of patience and the most untrusting willingness to wait. Usually it is your lust for something that erodes the patience to wait. All your attention is focused on what you want. Yet every one of you knows these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God's word teaches how to restore your patient waiting, though when you've lost it, you heard it in Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace, the fruit of waiting patiently, the God of peace will be with you. Now let me ask you, why doesn't this verse 
pop into your mind when someone beats you to the just open grocery checkout line. Right? None of you ever thought of that verse when that happens. Patience and waiting are not really top of mind for you and I. Your agenda, your time, your priorities bury patient waiting. You're not good at it. And you exercise the worst of it in your dealings with God. Personal, family, financial, health, and even church concerns become worrisome and often get a hasty or a rash decision. Taking matters into your own hands rather than trusting God's promises. Psalm 27 is a good passage to learn about waiting and patience, and it ends with these instructive words. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, while all those things are important elements of waiting and patience, and we need to know those to understand the intensity of thanksgiving, they barely scratch the surface of what this psalm is saying. And that's why you miss the nature of intense thanksgiving it expresses. You see, here in Psalm 40, the word wait and the word patient are the same word. They are expressed as different parts of speech, but they are expressed intensely. And the bang, bang nature of their expression enhances this intensity. The simplest way to express these words is wait, waiting, or patiently, patient. However, these expressions do not justify and do justice to the intensity that they tell. The Psalms' expression of waiting and patience draws a picture of twisting or pulling something so that there is tension. This isn't sitting in your easy chair and waiting for God to do his thing. No, this is something far more intense. You almost get the picture of impatience twisting and pulling to get past the waiting. But that's not what is going on here. The psalmist isn't impatient. He's busy waiting. He's actually creating tension considering the things he will tell in his thanksgiving. It's not impatience. It's anticipation. The psalmist is eager for God to respond to his musing. The patiently waiting makes it all the more intense. The psalm reveals the things being processed. They are intense, an intense examination, evaluation, and categorization going on here. David is working these things over. He is twisting them so that he can see every facet. He is stretching them so nothing is hidden and he can see the strength of these weighty things that are on his mind. This is not a sit down at dinner and say, thank you, Jesus, for my food. This is an intense review of things only God can do. 
has done, or will do. This isn't a casual encounter at an opportune time. This is a stop, look, and listen, considering how impossible these things are, how undeserved they are, and how gracious they are. This is far more than sincerity. This is overwhelming gratitude. It is intense thanksgiving. This measuring who you are, what you've done, what you lack, and why you are unworthy. This apprehending who God is, what he does, and why he does it. It's not about you or your pleasure. It's not about you or your feelings. It is all about God. His mercy, his grace, his glory, his holiness, his power, and his love. As the waiting patiently intensifies, it's like stretching a rubber band. When it's ready to snap, you release it, and the pent-up energy explodes as the rubber band contracts. David is just at that point, but he has no control over the release Only the Lord can satisfy the intense waiting patiently. Only the Lord can release the intense thanksgiving that David has pent up in him. And God does. David says, and he inclined to me. Now, there is intensity in the Lord's response. It's marvelous to see how God himself intensely comes to David. It is totally God's response. It is not caused by David's intent patiently waiting, but as the verse continues, David realizes that God heard his cry. It is seen in the idea that inclined conveys. You see, it is also a stretching. God stretches out to David. There is a matching intensity to David's twisting, stretching, patient waiting. God powerfully, intensely reaches out and hears David's cry. His longing to thank God from deep in his heart. For things greater than he can adequately express. For the wellspring David has on his mind and is ready to have on his lips for the things that God has done. God does this for you as well. Another reason for intense thanksgiving. David mentions a number of specific thanksgivings. They are different in natures. Each deserves intense, patient waiting to allow thorough consideration. So intense thankfulness can take root and then blossom. For these are things only God can do. Only God can give. Only God can provide, only God can accomplish. 
We cannot examine each one thoroughly now, so please, if you are thankful to God, take time to consider them further this week. There is time, however, to see how they begin and where they lead. The flow of David's thanks teaches you how your thanksgiving ought to connect. David's first expression of thanks is God inclined to his cry. Then he continues, he also. David sees God's hand of blessing as a continual stream. David goes to the place that you likely expressed your most intense thanksgiving. More intense than you've probably felt or offered since then. It deals with the torment of sin and speaks of salvation. Naturally, that is an opportunity for intense thanksgiving, though the intensity of thanksgiving should actually grow as you grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The torment of sin is expressed as a horrible pit dug in miry clay. It describes the slippery pit that enslaves every sinner. It captures being trapped and unable to escape. It tells of the grasp of sin and the torment it dishes out once it has captured and enslaved you. Sin has you in a pit. The psalmist is thankful for he has been delivered. He tells you who delivered him. The Lord. The Lord who suffers all the penalty for your sin. The Lord who rescues you by substitution from the horrible pit of sin. The high priest's house in Jerusalem in Jesus' day was the site of religious trials. In every courtroom there is a holding cell. The same was true of Caiaphas's house. It has a pit. You can see it today. Those awaiting trial would have ropes tied around their chest and then they would be lowered into the pit. Their feet would not touch the ground. It would be pitch black so they had no sensory perception of where they were and certainly no ability to escape. Psalm 88 describes such a pit and clearly speaks of Christ's suffering in one. See Jesus as I read the first nine verses of Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Those words are familiar. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths, 
Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. You can feel the torment in your early part of this passage. And then you are reminded how Jesus was abandoned by his disciples. You feel the sorrow of the Nile when Peter sees Jesus as an abomination. He likely heard Peter, who was in the courtyard near this pit. You can feel the strain of Jesus' eyes as he tries to comprehend his present state of being, suspended in total dark, a miry blackness, not able to touch any surface, not capable of getting a toehold. Imagine the despair that Jesus bore for you. Not because you were worthy, but because of your sin. You may think Jesus suffered differently with a godly understanding than than other men would because he was one person who had two natures. Actually, the opposite is true. Jesus' human nature was perfectly pure. But his divine nature comprehended the need and understood the reason, your sin, and the magnitude of the punishment. Eternity. His perfection and understanding made his suffering more intense than any man has ever suffered. Maybe you begin to sense the intense thanks you should have on your lips with every breath that you breathe. But you don't have to imagine. For the psalmist continues that the Lord not only brought him out of the pit, but he also set my feet upon a rock and established my steps He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Jesus went into that pit to rescue you. He took your place. And in doing so, he brought you out of a horrible pit dug in a miry clay. Then he didn't just put you near the pit so you could slip in again. No, he set your feet on a rock, a solid foundation. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to enlighten his word so you could get your bearings and take sure steps to escape even further. Your grateful heart was given the way to praise and to thank him. For he put a new song in your mouth. Praise to God. He did it with a purpose. So your intense thanksgiving, your sure steps, 
and a new song would draw others to see what God has done. Fear their own pit if Christ doesn't rescue them and open the door for the Holy Spirit to give them faith to trust in the Lord. I know you're not Baptist, but can I hear an amen? Can I hear a hallelujah? Come on. If you were Baptist, I'd ask you to stand and sing the doxology, but I won't do that. It's intense, is it not? David continues on examining many areas of his life that God has intensely blessed. There are areas you should be intensely thankful for as well. Please read through this psalm and identify them and intensely thank God for these blessings. There are, however, two areas that relate differently to this intense thanksgiving. And a brief look at each will help you focus your intense thanksgiving. In David's thanks, he recognizes the glory of God is made evident to those who see what he is doing. You will recall, I just read it a few seconds ago, a few minutes ago, he said many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Then in verses 9 and 10, David says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. This needs to be your public expression of thanksgiving. David intently thanked God, and God came to him intently. Then David acknowledged what God did will bring others to trust in Christ. You have a great message of the gospel. Today begins what the world sees as the Christmas season. We like to say that Jesus is the reason for the season. So this is a wonderful time for you to show and give true, intense thanksgiving to God for the godly things in your life, the salvation Christ purchased. While the world seeks material blessing and focus their thanks on satisfying their selfish desires. Proclaim the good news. Do not restrain your lips. Do not hide God's righteousness. Declare God's faithfulness and salvation. Tell of God's loving kindness and truth. Be intensely thankful publicly. And then hold the closing words of this psalm in your heart when you slip. Because we all slip. And I think it's so wonderful that David ended this psalm at God's giving him these words, you see. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay 
O my God. For these words are the foundation on which intense thanksgiving begins to flow from our heart and from our lips. Pray with me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we know that we are totally depraved. We know that you have done a great work in us and made us God-lovers and not God-haters, but the remnant of sin still ravages us. And so for delivering us from our sin, for forbearing with our continual failure, for all the blessings that you have given us and for the hope of all eternity that you have promised us, help us to be intensely thankful. And help us to tell the world around us of this God who intently leans in to hear our right and and proper intense thanksgiving. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.